0: We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership. It's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you, if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out, John O'White. Or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult. And and I just wanna find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Well, I am really excited about today's guest and about this episode. Today, we have Cody Teat. Cody is the interim president of Regis University in Colorado. And wow, uh, some incredible experience, um, which I can't wait to chat a bit about. So welcome to the podcast, Cody.
1: Thank you, Jono. It's um, great to be here.
0: Yes, I, as I said, I'm really excited to chat with you and hear some of your story. For, for listeners, can you first uh, give us a bit of an overview of what you're doing now in, in your current role?
1: Yeah, so I've been a trustee for Regis University for the last eight years, and our past president decided to retire in December. So I was asked if I would serve in the interim role to try to keep some consistency of objectives toward the strategic plan, as well as consistency of our work around our um, Catholic Jesuit mission. So I said, sure, I would do it. It's a six to nine month um, contract. While they've officially this week will begin this the national search for a president for regis university so i'm in charge of everything from enrollment to retention to finance to annual giving to athletics just a plethora of things (laughs)
0: yeah so for those um outside of uh, colorado or other places that may not um know about regis can you give us a, a little bit of a an overview of the uh, I, I guess, yeah, of the, the size of the, of the university and, and just um, some information for those who might not be familiar?
1: Yeah, so as I said, Regis is a Jesuit Catholic university here in Colorado. So it's about, I'm going to say five to 700 miles to the next closest Jesuit university in our area. So it provides a unique niche for folks who want to continue with their spirituality as well as their education, really with an invitation to not only learn what their their specialty is, but how to leverage that specialty as they go out into the world as leaders themselves. And I like to say, you know, you're now charged to um, take your skills and change the world, make it better.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. So it would be great to hear some of your story now. So as we look back at Cody's story, even, even back to childhood, you know, as you look back, what are some of those moments that that are really significant that shaped you to become the leader and the person you are today, Cody?
1: Yeah. So I like to start with uh, my, my history, which is, is not a, it's a rags to riches story or a, a work hard uh, success story. I started my mom and dad got divorced when I was four. We were on welfare for several years and uh, went to school school, middle and um, elementary school in what I call very diverse schools where actually Caucasian students were the minority and uh, Latina students were the majority. So what I learned through all of that is resilience and most importantly, diversity of thought, diversity of color, which as I've grown through my career that has been invaluable in that i have been able to be an architect of both culture and diversity in every role i've had to take the organization to the next level and i feel that had the times not been as hard as they were while they were younger i I might not have some of the skill sets that i have today
0: yeah so that's that's incredible thank you for sharing a bit of your early story Um, i always like to ask leaders Do you remember, was there a moment for you um, early on, or maybe it was a bit older where you first realized you were a leader or wanted to be a leader or naturally couldn't help but lead people? Like it's always different for you. Was there a moment that really stands out, Cody?
1: Yeah. So I, I worked my way up to restaurant manager at McDonald's and then, you know, I wanted to be the best restaurant manager I could be. But as a result of that, I had the opportunity to go to a uh, regional conference and I was awarded with the, the Outstanding Restaurant Manager Award. But what I realized was just the breadth of McDonald's Corporation. And I saw executives on stage talking and they were actually the folks who honored us with rewards. And I remember sitting in my seat in the audience one day and said, I want to be that person. <laughs> And so I actually did, I created a plan and worked my way up. But, um, you know, when I went to college, I had every intention of leaving McDonald's. And then I started looking for roles in marketing and advertising agencies, which my undergraduate degree is really specialized in. But when I went to that convention, I'm like, nope, I think I'm gonna stay in this business and try to get that role, which at the time was a, a regional vice president role.
0: Wow, that's, that's incredible. So as you did that, and as you, uh, I guess, from your from your time at McDonald's and through your studies, are there any moments that really stand out to you from that from that season in that journey, as a leader, where you think, Oh, wow, I really messed that up. But it really, I, I, I learned a lot. Or, wow, I saw that other leader working with me do incredible work. And I learned so much like any moments like that, that that come to mind?
1: I think all of us have um, times where we we wish we could have had a do-over, right? Um, But what happened is we had a really rough couple of years in the market I was um, working in. And what I realized is that I was not taking enough ownership of my market. And I ended up starting to benchmark with other leaders. um, And most importantly, I went to Canada to benchmark with the um, vice president of Canada And when I came back, I realized I need to to run my business unit, which happened to be doing about 1.75 billion, that I needed to run it more like he was running Canada, which was, I was the CEO of my country. And I started taking the perspective that my market was my country. And I started taking, I would just say more, I was driven more to make things happen versus being told what to happen. And I think that's part of the franchise organization where I felt that you know we're all told how to act, behave, what to do within a framework, with very little little uh, liberty to push outside that box. But what I learned is that actually they want folks who are more innovative, who are more strategic, who don't always do um, the company way, but they're thoughtful mm. of why they push the boundaries on the company way. Um, you know, so obviously, I didn't do anything too bad to get fired. But it, it taught me <laughs> a lot that, you know, when you take full ownership of something, and you're willing to fight for what you know is right within that market, because obviously, um, Arizona, in particular, is very different than Utah is different than Alabama. So yeah. you you really have to start thinking about um, how do you leverage those differences to become strengths.
0: I, I really love that you're talking about this, because I think um, it's easy to it's easy to talk about leadership sometimes in a role like like you're in now where you're the you know interim president, like you said, you're responsible for all these things and yes, there's the board. Uh, but one thing I hear a lot from leaders I work with who are in some sort of role where they're responsible for a department, a region, a team, but they're not the CEO of the whole organization. There's a bit of a how do I how do I lead up? How do I? Uh, and, and so I'm fascinated by how you, how you did that. What, what did you find? What did you learn about the tension between pushing the boundaries in that role and really owning, you know, being CEO of the country and yet at the same time staying strategically aligned as part of the global uh, McDonald's?
1: Yeah, so let so let me just also say that every idea I presented didn't get a yes which I which is okay right because I think that's part of leadership they may have tested it somewhere else meaning my leaders or they um, you know they just had additional insight from seeing what's happened across the globe or especially if it involved bringing in a new vendor um, there's a lot of protocols and processes for new vendors to join a system as big as McDonald's but Both when I was a restaurant manager, um, I was actually the most successful restaurant manager for a four-year period that the organization had seen. And when my owner, who's Bob Charles, he's actually the gentleman who created the Happy Meal for the McDonald's system. But he asked me one time, he said, what is it that you do that you think you make that you're able to get the results you can when nobody else is? Because he had 14 restaurants at the time. And I said, I run this restaurant as if I own it. And so when I got to be the market vice president of my $2 billion market, that's what I started doing is running it like I owned it, which means, of course, extra accountability. If I made a mistake, it was on me. But if we had a success, it was on me. And... I also um, invited my franchisee organization or franchisee leaders to be part of the discussions of things we would do because I wanted their buy-in as we were moving in some different areas, specifically with Hispanic advertising, because we had such a high density of Hispanic consumers in both uh, Nevada and Arizona that we needed to do some things different there. And it completely turned the market around in about 18 months.
0: Wow. Wow. Uh, <laughs> that's incredible. And so I have to ask about that because uh, that's, that's an incredible turnaround. What, what did that look like? Because that's fast. That would have been, uh, was it incredibly disruptive and tumultuous to, to do that? Or how did you, how did that play out to see such a big turnaround in only 18 months?
1: So a couple of things is I would had been there already for t- um, three years, so I had or maybe even four years. So people knew me, right? So it wasn't I had a lot of experience of what was going on in the market. But what I realized is that some of the things I would say, so let's use Hispanic marketing, for example, I had to start visiting restaurants with some of the franchisees and saying, let's look at all your customers who are in here and oh by the way, we don't have any Hispanic point of purchase. And wouldn't it be easier for our Hispanic consumers to to, um, know what's going on and how do we leverage that? So that would have been one thing. The other thing is that um, as part of that, we also looked, I had the agency do some research on Hispanic advertising in the state of Arizona and the state of Nevada. And finding out what our media buy was in that space, finding out that we were amongst the lowest, even though we were the largest actually QSR player. Uh, And so doing some fact gathering and taking the franchisees with me, who are my franchise partners, right? We were only collectively successful if we both did well. And, you know, just doing, I'd say more of a let's learn this together. Let's dive in together. Um, But it was, I'm going to say, it wasn't always easy on me, and I'm sure it wasn't always easy on them, Mm. but there was a lot of dialogue and um, I'm going to say benchmarking, right, so that it wasn't just people sitting in a room giving opinions. It was, well, let's just go find if that's still the case, because what I found in meetings in particular Is people might say something that they know but when you start digging deeper what they know is from two years or five years ago (laughs) and they haven't really created what they know today or they haven't paid as much attention about how the world changed around them yes so it was it was a you know and and i remember at one meeting just saying i'm asking you all to take a leap of faith because i understand that you know i might not have enough facts and figures and statistics and white papers and business cases right to get you (laughs) on board So I'm going to ask you to take a leap of faith. If we try it for 60 days and it doesn't work, we can always stop.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I love that. It reminds me of, um, that story reminds me of uh, the book, Blue Ocean Strategy. And I love how they talk about market research in there and how your (laughs) your story of literally walking in uh, to a venue with that franchise, you know, with the franchise owner and saying, let's have a look at who's in here it reminded me of that book cuz they say if you just go even with market research uh, talking of well-intentioned trying to get feedback from people whether it's your uh, you know your people or your customers if you just ask customers what can we do differently they'll they'll just say to you yeah give us more of the same for cheaper and uh, and i love that that challenge to go we have to be more creative in how we find Uh, data, but the way you put it there is so interesting. Also looking anecdotally at when we're sitting in a room with our people and someone says, I I know this actually digging deeper. um, What, what did you learn through that about how to find out um, I guess from really data driven ways, but also more people uh, you know, the humanity, like actually learning what's really going on in with your customers when you've got such a large pool of customers, What, what did you learn about how to do that? Well,
1: so the first thing, I wanna give you an example that this happened with uh, us visiting a Starbucks because Starbucks, we knew their, their transaction growth and their sales growth was increasing while our transactions were pretty flat. And I had a lot of naysayers who were saying, well, that's not here, that's not here. And it's because we could only get national data for Starbucks at the time versus very localized data. But I ended up um, taking franchisees one at a time to a Starbucks. And several of them admitted to me afterwards, they thanked me because they said, Cody, to be honest, I've never been in a Starbucks. (laughs) And this has been my competitor (laughs) on this corner for three years. But these were some of the loudest voices, if you will, in a meeting talking about how Starbucks wasn't really that good. So then they go into a Starbucks and they see how busy the drive-thru is and they see all the customers in line, probably in some cases, more customers in line than in their restaurant. And um, so what I learned about the facts and figures is sometimes, you know, you have to it's that show me rule. You have to show me people have to be convinced. Yeah. And it but the invitation, I think, is part of the relationship side of it, because when you invite somebody to come it's in a way saying, I might not be right. Maybe you're right, but let's go together and figure it out. That's the yeah. humanity side of it. Right. I'm not standing there arguing with you toe to toe that you're wrong. I'm mm. like, let's go figure it out together.
0: Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, I I love that perspective. And there is an invitation and that lowers the barrier and lowers the walls to actually say, I'm, I'm not, I'm not just going to stand here across from you and just say, you're wrong. Uh, let's go and find out together. And, and there is something about Physically going into the field, that and seeing it, like you said, the show show me that's so uh, powerful. And yet, at the same time, I feel like as a like definitely for me as a leader in 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 past roles, it's easy to go. I just don't have time for that. I'm I'm focused on more important things. Right. <laughs> so. Well- you keep I would
1: just say too that, you know, I think a lot of businesses lose their way about the voice of the consumer and what's important to the consumer. And uh, I'll be honest, you know, McDonald's has ebbed and flowed in that area and having worked for a franchisee, I, I think that because I, you know, started when I was 16 and I worked with this franchisee till I was 35. That's what he did with us. If, if, if I had my nose in my restaurant so much And he'd say, well, what's the Wendy's doing down the street? Or what's, you know, the KFC doing over there? I saw their line looks longer than yours. And I'd say, I have no idea. And he'd say, well, get in my car. Let's go look. And, you know, I think from that early time, though, it was safe to not know everything. And it was safe to go find I don't I don't know how to but I think a lot of times leaders get in the mindset of I have to know everything and even if I'm wrong I'll die on my sword proving that I'm right Mm -hmm. and you know I I was I guess blessed in a way to never have to fight through any of that and not with any of my McDonald's um, corporation leaders either it was always very empowering and um, two-way dialogue and discussion I guess I'd say Mm -hmm.
0: That's such a great story that he would that he would say that because uh, I think that is such a great example of that that's wonderful leadership and that you got to experience that and that was really formative for you and then you were really doing the same thing but at a different level taking franchisors out uh, or franchisees out to actually um sorry to to take them out and look at different locations is is just wonderful uh, I loved what you said about your record four years as as a store manager and I find that so, um, inspiring. And I think that's an incredible achievement. And I know that would have shaped so much of your leadership when, when you were at that higher level, but I want to ask when you were in the store, you know, when you were a store manager, what was some of the other leadership lessons you learned from being on the front line? Uh, you know, day to day, face to face with the customers, like you just shared there about literally going down the road to Wendy's and seeing what they're doing. Were there any other lessons that you learned, in the store that have really stayed true and, and stayed very important through your whole career.
1: Yeah, I would say the number one thing, uh, if somebody said to me, and part of the reason I was asked to take this interim board position or the center president position is because my superpower is around people development. And so I've always been a big believer of helping anybody who works for me to achieve their goals. So whether that's an employee who works in the kitchen and wants to work up front, or whether it's a part-time manager who wants to become a restaurant manager, you know, I really worked hard to recognize and reward the individuals. I also did performance reviews, which not a lot of the restaurants did at the time. And that was a two-way dialogue about what you're doing well and what you're not doing well. But I can say through my whole career, I've had the lowest turnover in in the, in the Bob Charles's organization when I was a restaurant manager, wow. the lowest turnover when I was a general manager and market VP with the highest development of other VPs. You know, my boss even told me, Cody, we're going to send this person to you because you're either going to make them great or make them go follow a different passion because you're going to put in the time, effort, and energy
0: to mm. develop
1: the person and at the same time be honest with them. So I feel like to me, when you say what's your pr- proudest moments in any job I've ever had, it's helping yep. somebody who worked for me, achieve the goal that they wanted and that I just enabled. I don't, they did it right. They did all the work, <laughs> but they took the coaching and they created their own opportunities to get there.
0: That's so good. So I, I just can't help but ask more about that because I can just imagine all of the listeners, whether they're entrepreneurs, small business owners, or CEOs, um, or you know, with hundreds or thousands of staff, thinking that's that is something I want to do even better is is retain people. Um, I know you just unpacked some of what you did there, which is really simple but brilliant, which is focus on helping them, um, you know, get what they want. To take that what person who's in the kitchen and wants to be on on the front to help them get there. What other tips would you give? And what what other reasons do you think you were able to have such great retention? uh, in, in those different roles.
1: So uh, I'm going to use the word accountability and a lot of people don't like that word because they always focus on the negative accountability, but I look at accountability as a spectrum, right? And so at the far, one far side of the spectrum, it's all about rewards and recognition. And at the other side of the spectrum is probably if you don't get better, I'm going to have to fire you. Right. Um, but there's a whole lot of range in between. And so yeah. I always tried to say to my top 30% of my employees who well, I need to stay, want to stay, and, and, and they're great. I want to continue to foster their development and growth. And, and so by doing that, though, you still have to sometimes have courageous conversations. Somebody might say, hey, I want to be the next VP. Mm. And you yeah. have to say, okay, you know what, I really want to help you that VP but as an awareness when you're in meetings you talk too much and you don't let other people give input so you're seen as the smartest person in the room and then they take that information right they know that I'm giving it in a loving way to help them be better that then they improve on those skills and I can say 90% of all the folks who I've worked with who I've known what they wanted to do I've helped them get there but there's a consistency around accountability In that if you set up programs, processes, rules, systems, whatever word you want to use, you have to hold people accountable to those. Because what I've also learned is if there's no accountability, your best players play down a level because they (laughs) see you're not playing, holding people accountable. So why are they busting their, you know, to get it done? And yet these other folks, nothing happens to them if they don't. So you, you really have to. Um, enable that where I'm talking to the bottom 30%. And sometimes there's a consequence, right? Sometimes it's training. Sometimes it's lack of motivation or desire, but you're rewarding and recognizing the top 30%, which really shows people it can be done. Because if you highlight and put them in light some way, whether that's a newsletter, a reward, a banquet, people see, oh, I guess other people are doing it. So maybe I can too.
0: (laughs) That's so simple, but it's something that leader after leader after leader. And let's be honest, this is something I've really struggled with as well. Um, but I love that perspective and you're right. It's a, it's a two-edged sword when you don't do accountability, because not only are you missing out on pushing those people who are underperforming to improve, but you either lose performance or sometimes you even lose them altogether because they go, you know what, I'm going to work somewhere. Your best people will go, I'm going to go somewhere that challenges me. I'm going to go somewhere that rewards and, and me and will hold poor performers to account. And those two things combined is like they're a game changer. Either one of those is massive, losing your best people or not holding to account and pushing poor performers. But when you combine them, that's devastating for, for leaders who aren't doing that.
1: What I've learned, and, um, and, and these are not my words, I probably went to some coaching or leadership training somewhere, but absent courageous conversations, people tell their own stories. And, and, and what I mean by that is sometimes, and, th- and I see this in every job I've had in every organization, even when I've been consulting, that there's people who are afraid to confront somebody with bad news. Like Mm. you didn't do so hot today, or can I provide you some coaching or, Hey, I know you're trying to achieve this, but you know, you were off mark. And without some of those conversations, the person can never reach the goals they aspire to where I look at it as I will really want to help that person be that great, you know, leader they want to be. So somebody has got to tell them. And then I say, and how can I help you? (laughs) (laughs) it's not just about dropping a bomb on them, right? It's about, and now how can I help you? Can I help you get to a class? Is there a leader you want to benchmark? Or I suggest a leader they want to benchmark. And I I was always adamant in whoever the top 30% were. um, and And I just say this, you know, especially as you're in a larger organization, you need to know those people by name because they're not only making a loyalty to the company, they're making loyalty to you as a person.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. And I can imagine, like you said, in a larger organization, that's that could be quite a large pool of people that you want to um, build and, and at least know their name and have that personal connection to you as well as the organization.
1: Yeah, and depend on the size of the company, you might pick, pick a smaller percentage. But uh, of course, if you can do that, they know you care about them. And I'm sure you've heard this saying before, P-P-M-M-F-I, which is please make me feel important. And, and that's how we all want to feel at work, right? And yeah. so do we do enough of that, whether it's returning phone calls or returning emails or just even sending a happy birthday wish? You know, <laughs> do we just know enough um, that our people know we know them and that we, we want to make them feel important to us?
0: Yeah, and that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it can be 30 seconds. It can be just thirty seconds to to do that, but I love that. Please make me feel important. It's and it's putting ourselves in other people's shoes and going, what are the things that I can do? Particularly if you and you can be intentional and strategic around that, like you like you said, um, either around core behaviors that you want to reward uh, or particular people that you want to focus in on, and um, even if you do that, particularly for those in large organizations, and just. Like I, I love the handwritten note because I think mm-hmm. it's such a simple, quick, easy, and 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 very personal and very, uh, it's very meaningful for someone, particularly when you when it's thought when when there's a lot of thought behind it and and you're actively looking, and uh, and it's like you know when you're when you're looking for a particular car, if you start looking for a car, you'll see it everywhere on the road, and if you start writing notes or. Or looking to say comments or even just take them down in in a notebook so you can come you know later on you'll start seeing those things you start seeing the people and the little things they're doing and and you start noticing them because you're looking for them as well
1: exactly and that's such an important part of the culture that the leader sets uh at the top because you know it's kind of like when, we, when you see the commercials where the little kids mimicking their mom and dad. Well, that's what employees end up doing. They <laughs> begin doing the good or the bad, right? Uh, yes. Habits that the, the, the shadow of a leader from Stephen Covey it, it plays out over and over and over again.
0: <laughs> so true. Well, uh, this is so much fun chatting with you. I want to jump into Leadership Express and ask you a few questions. Are you ready? Sure. Okay, What's a book that you've gifted to others?
1: Yeah. One of my favorite books is the way of the shepherd. And it talks about how uh, a boss has a, a responsibility and accountability to bring their people along. Like a sheep herder would make sure nobody ate his sheep. Nobody, none of them got away. Mm. And so um, it, it's very powerful. It, it has some spiritual, um, Undertones because it's written by both a business author and a pastor, mm-hmm. but it's one of my favorite gifts to give because I don't think that a lot of people understand how important their internal teams are to them until yeah. they start losing them and can't recoup.
0: Yeah, you're right. Great recommendation. Uh, any great podcasts that you're listening to, or uh, you know, in terms of your experience and leadership in retail and in franchising and uh, in education now. Um, Any other sources that you are, they're really your go-to to to read or to watch or to listen?
1: Well, I've been doing a lot more since I've switched over to higher education, just reading in higher education journals, specifically Mm -hmm. some of the journals for the Jesuit AJCU, which is American Jesuit College and University or Association of Jesuit Colleges and Universities, And Mm -hmm. really trying to understand the tension points that exist in higher ed, as well as challenges around return on investments with careers. So, um, yeah, I'm spending a lot more time digging into reading about those types of things. And also I'm spending more time uh, just reading about what students' impression is of higher ed Is their going through high school these days from nine through 12 and yes you know as the media keeps saying is the, is a college education important and while mm. I think it is um, I have one son who chose to only go for a couple of years and I have another one who's in and doing really well so mm. I also know that you don't always need higher ed to have a successful life or a career path if you will so it's yep. just really trying to understand so I can better i guess in a way better inspire folks to give it a another look if they're on the fence
0: yeah that's great really good thoughts uh i want to ask you a couple of questions what's a what is a problem or challenge uh, you know a struggle problem challenge that leaders are facing let's go with firstly in, in franchising so people who are in um uh, franchising and, and, you know, an industry that you spent a long time in, what do you see right now as a big challenge or problem leaders are facing?
1: I think the biggest challenge in franchising, whether it's, uh, what doesn't matter whether it's restaurants, retail, cleaning, spas, whatever it's the labor shortage and the great, uh, resignation as folks are calling it because yes folks really have not come back into the workforce. We're seeing it everywhere we go with people shortening their hours or closing one day of the week when they didn't used to do that, but they have to do that now because there still is a, a balance between how high you can raise your, or how rise, let me rephrase that, how quickly you can raise your menu prices yes. or the, the product price, but yet still meet the wage requirements of your employees so i don't i don't know i mean you guys just reading the article the other day where did all the people go right because they just aren't <laughs> seeming to be working out and about in the way that we're used to mm-hmm.
0: yeah thank you for sharing that what, what about higher education what's a big problem or challenge that you're you know now that you're you're in higher education what are you seeing leaders uh you know facing as a big challenge in higher ed
1: I think a couple things. One is with the rising cost of education, how do we meet the needs of the students and the families who don't have college on their radar because it's too expensive?
0: Mm. And I know that's
1: probably a higher ed and a government challenge. But I was fortunate to be able to go to college on the Pell Grant because, again, as I said, we grew up rather poor, and um, you know. So I hope people leverage that and scholarships, but. I I really feel there's a sweet spot for the student that's about a 3.2 to a 3.5, probably not strong enough to get an academic scholarship, but how Mm. do we help more of them get through college and structure it in such a way that it's beneficial so they don't walk out with, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in student debt that they're paying on for years after graduation. So it's really, it's a, it's a challenge it's bigger than me for sure if i knew how to fix it i i'd be making all Mm. those suggestions right now but Mm. uh there has to there has to be a really a better way to help folks afford universities if they if that's the choice they make especially as we keep looking at them raising the price of tuition every year
0: yeah no that's a really good point um do you have any favorite questions that you ask when you're sitting in a one-on-one with a team member, when you're in a, in a meeting with a group or they've just become sort of superpower questions that you, that you go to.
1: One of my favorite ones is why do you think that? (laughs) And, and I'm genuinely curious because back to the point I was saying, if they say, you know, Starbucks isn't doing so great. My point is why do you think that? Because Mm. they're not lying when they say, Say that right. Yeah, and so I'm more under. I'm more interested in the gap between what they think and what I think. Mm. So I like to I like to ask that, and I then I also like say, what is the industry doing? So right now I ask in higher ed, in particular, in my meetings. So what's happening at other universities, and how do we compare to that?
0: Yeah, that's great. I love that. There, there are a couple of great questions. Um, What is a? This is an interesting question which you can answer either for higher education or if you want, um, once again, put franchising hat on. What is a commonly held belief in your industry that you passionately disagree with?
1: Well, I, one, I disagree with it. And I wrote a book about it at McDonald's that um, McDonald's is a dead-end job. And the name mm. of my book is Golden Opportunity, Remarkable Careers of Success that started at McDonald's. And I wrote it in 2012, really with the um, objective of neutralizing what was being said on television and, and comedy and in the papers um, that if you work at McDonald's you're just going to be a burger flip for the rest of your life in a very you know condescending way that yeah. you shouldn't work there because it's dead end and uh, I my book is really based on three premises one people who were like me who rose from the restaurants to a vice president in the corporation or an officer role in the corporation people who started in the restaurants and then became franchisees and then people who started in the restaurants and what they learned at mcdonald's they took somewhere else with them and so that's you know, it just, it just angered me uh, that, you know, that's all people could see about McDonald's without understanding that we teach finance and marketing and supply chain and real estate and construction and logistics. And, yep. you know, it's so much bigger than just the four walls of that restaurant.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree. That's wonderful and a, and a really good uh, thought. What's a great piece of advice you've received?
1: Um. I think one of the, the best pieces of advice, and I shared it with somebody the other day, is you don't always have to show up as the A student. Mm. And I had to have him explain it to me. I'm like, what does that mean? And <laughs> they said, it's, it, you know, it's obvious, you know, a lot of things. And, you know, but especially as a leader, you want to be the last person to speak because people will mm. follow your opinion too quickly or you come across as so smart that other people don't want to share because they know they're going to look stupid <laughs> or that's what they think in their head, right? Yeah. Not that they really are. Um, so I just thought that was brilliant advice because, you know, as a leader, oftentimes we think that we do have to be the smartest person in the room <laughs> and the smartest person in the room on every topic, right? Which is just not possible.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that saying, uh, you don't always have to be the a, plus, a A student. Was that right? You don't have to always be yeah. the A plus student. Yeah, yep. the, that's great. Uh, what about a movie or TV show that really impacted you?
1: Yeah, you know, I liked so many TV shows, but um, I, I think when the, the Roots series came out years ago, it was probably mm-hmm. one of the first docuseries, right? Yeah. And yeah. just seeing how bad it was because even if you read books and you know different schools at the time um it's probably much more broadly uh diversified now but they probably led you to books that you they wanted you to read and the stories they wanted you to know or hear yes um so to me that was just such an enlightening um an emotional experience of Mm -hmm. maybe some of the things i lived even from some of the the people who picked on me or bullied me because I wasn't Hispanic and really mm-hmm. just, wow, I'm like if this is how it really was for them, I, I can understand where that meanness came from.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, what's a tip for finding and keeping great talent.
1: Finding great talent is a th- I'd say the majority of the time is if you can get a good network of people who refer great people to you.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I I think that's one way. The other is, I, I think you just have to have a really good interview process. And I'm a big believer if you're interviewing somebody say for communications, you have them write a few things for you and you have them, you know, do some, I guess, case studies, if you will, but really get an idea of how they think and what their skill set is beyond just what they say. Yes. So I've yes. had a lot of great hires from outside and I, I really attribute it to the great HR folks I had and how we set up the process for not just tell me, but show me kind of back to what I said earlier. Show me you can do this.
0: <laughs> yeah that's then um, you said, that's so good Go sorry keep going
1: <laughs> no and i think you said and how do you keep them yeah that was off the last part I, yeah well i think the, the way you keep them is you're honest with them you're you're them. you try to help them be their best selves you create a common goal that everybody's striving for um and i also think you create a culture where everybody knows how to win and it's not ambiguous, ambiguous because if they know how to win, people are going to play to win. And um, you know, if you have too many people who are not sure what the boundaries are, you either have a bunch of wild, wild west cowboys, or you have a lot of wallflowers, or you, you know, it just it doesn't <laughs> yeah. produce the best in people. So mm-hmm. um, rewards, recognition, and it doesn't always have to be money. It could be a hey, I saw you do something great today or hey, that presentation you gave when you said, you have to give a specific though, not yeah. just a great presentation. When you gave the presentation today and you showed our three-year trend on customer count, that was that was perfect.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. I, I remember, I can't remember what book it comes from, but this idea that keeping score and measuring and, and people knowing what a win is, it's the difference between um, and, I, and I do use a lot of sport analogies because I love sports, so, but but this is a, a really helpful one. It's the difference between going down to the park and, and kicking a ball around with some friends mm-hmm. versus being on a team with them, being you know one nil down in a game of soccer, as an example, one nil down with five minutes to go. You know, what difference does each of those environments make to how you play? And the answer is it changes everything. With one nil down, so, five minutes to go, if I'm on a team... I'm giving 120%, whereas if I'm just kicking a ball around with some mates, I'm losing interest quickly and, and just, um, just there to have a good time. And, uh, and that really stuck with me as, as the importance, you know, just a testament to the importance of keeping score and measuring and, and, uh, outlining clearly what a win is.
1: Yeah. And somebody told me, you know, early when you when you become a leader or when you even take over from another leader and and take a new market or a new role is you really need to strategically look for wins so that you can build the confidence in the team. Because in many Mm. cases, you know, you're, you're going into a situation where folks are feeling a little down, maybe a little beat up, they've had high turnover. And now you're going in and, and creating that win where they can feel and see that things are moving in the right direction you might not be hitting the north star yet mm. but you're celebrating the progress uh i think it just you know energizes the team to to take that next hurdle if you will
0: yeah i love that that's a great point look for the look for the wind. search for the wins particularly if you come in and you need to be doing a bit of transformation and maybe you've got a team that's uh, that's down on confidence that can really build confidence that's a wonderful thought uh, last question if you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader what would you say
1: take care of your people
0: <laughs> i always love it when there's a bit of a theme to a catch-up and that's uh, and i couldn't think of a better theme to tell you the truth take care of your people is is a bit of a theme for, for everything I do. So that's just a wonderful landing point Uh, for those who have really enjoyed today and might want to uh, find you online and connect, you know, through LinkedIn, et cetera, what's the best way for people uh, to find you Cody?
1: Yeah, I am on LinkedIn and I am on Facebook. So I'm sure you're going to share something with the correct spelling that that'll help them find me, but they can find me uh, on both of those venues.
0: Wonderful. We definitely will. Uh, Well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. This has been just a a wonderful episode. And I feel like I've learned a lot today from Cody. And I know uh, listeners will have as well. Don't forget, I also have the John O. White Leadership Podcast where I give you tips on how to build a high performance team and how to cast vision and those sort of things. And the leadership question of the day podcast, where I ask you a different question every day to put a stone in your shoe and make you uncomfortable as a leader. Cause if we're going to grow, we need to get used to being uncomfortable. Uh, but I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to Cody for being so generous. Um, and uh, yeah, just being uh, such a delight to, to spend time with and, and so much wisdom and uh, it's just been a real joy. Thank you, Cody.
1: Thank you. I've enjoyed the time as well.
0: or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, how to deal with difficult people, even if you hate conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again.